Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app with Fred Katz from The Athletic. We talked about the New York Knicks, the trade for Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett's recent stretch of good play, what's gone on with Julius Randle this season, Mitchell Robinson's improvement, and just some of our overall thoughts on the team and season to date. Uh, Enjoy. Hey, buddy. Yeah. How are you? I'm lovely. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm alive. That's good to know. I'm alive. As Stephen Adams always used to say, probably still does say when I'd ask him how he was doing. So he's still, <laughs> still above ground, mate. What uh, What were you talking You said something on Twitter yesterday about something Stephen Adams said to you. If you, I can't remember what it was, but I found it really funny. Oh, uh, I mean, I have many very funny Stephen Adams stories. I have more funny Stephen Adams stories than I have about any other NBA player. Uh, I'm assuming that they all involve him calling you mate at some point because <laughs> they most of them involve him saying something extremely inappropriate um, in like a very endearing way. <laughs> um, no, this was uh, I asked him a question once and I referred to his soft hands when I was asking him a question in a scrum with other reporters. And as soon as I, I mentioned his soft hands, he turned to Matt Tumbleson, who's the head of media relations for the Thunder. And I mentioned his soft hands, and he turned to Tumbleson. He said, I swear I never touched him. <laughs> I'm surprised that Tumbleson didn't shut it down right there. Knowing yeah, no, I, Tumbleson started cracking up. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, knowing the Thunder's uh, reputation for media, uh, well, you know, I wouldn't with, have been surprised. The thing with Stephen Adams is that he, like, defies – he defies the, the Thunder's, like, kind of more buttoned-up media policies – because he's so funny that the like everyone there would be laughing and the PR rep wouldn't jump in to stop it because the PR rep would be laughing equally as hard as everybody else there. So <laughs> so you can't like jump in and be like, all right, we're done when you're laughing. There were a couple of times. There was an interview that Brett Dawson and I did with him about him his experience artificially inseminating cows that okay. After about two minutes, Brett and I were started really like if if the starter questions about his experience artificially inseminating cows were not ridiculous enough, Brett and I were really getting into it, and and Stephen was was really getting into it as well at, at one point. And this he was really getting into the questions or into yeah. the artificial insemination. But both he referred this, to artificial. This chat, by the way, has taken a wide left turn. He, he referred to artificial insemination as as much an art as a science um, and, and talked about his experience artificially inseminating cows on a, on a farm that he grew up on. Uh, and you know, it all started in no position to argue with him. Well, we were, we were at Stephen with a trip to the zoo. The Thunder do this trip to the zoo with their players. And it is like the best community event that any team does in the league. Um, when Steven Adams is a part of it because Steven Adams loves animals and they get like a back pay, they get kind of like a backstage pass to the zoo and you get a personal tour guide and they invite some media members to come. And Brett Dawson, who was covering the team for the Oklahoman at the time that I was covering them, 
he and I were the only two who stayed for the whole thing. Everyone just kind of comes and gets some pictures of them at the butterfly exhibit and then, and then leaves. And Steven and Ennis Canner were so unbelievably ridiculous during this entire trip to the zoo, specifically Steven, um, where, uh, and, and I, that was where Brett and I learned that Steven art has experienced artificially inseminating cows. Uh, during, during, the, during the tour, we got to the rhinos and they showed the male rhino and the tour guide said who the male rhino was. And Steven interrupted and said, does he have a lady? She has a, he has a, a, a mate on the other side. And, and then there's kind of an awkward silence, and Stephen says, "You ever artificially inseminated one of these babies?" Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Dave twenty three oh one is in the chat saying it would be fun to meet Stephen Adams, and even having only interviewed him a few times because I work from New York and I'm not like traveling around with any of the teams Stephen Adams has been on. Even having only interviewed him a few times, I can tell you it would absolutely be extremely fun for you to meet Stephen Adams. Um, he, he's got the picture of Kyle Drogo in there too, of course. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I covered Stephen Adams for multiple years in Oklahoma City and was with him a lot and have done many interviews with him. And uh, I think it is it, for people who followed my work in Oklahoma City and have followed me since, I think it's pretty obvious that I get a, a ton of joy out of interviewing Stephen Adams. He is he is the funniest interview in the league. Actually, I think he has an argument for overall best interview because he's actually incredible talking. Like he could totally be a coach, probably. He's he's incredible talking. Like you'd love it because he's incredible talking basketball X's nose and that kind of stuff. Like, oh yeah, I talked to him about like uh, box outs. And and like backline rotations to cover how it's different to cover for different guys on the team when they were with the, when he was back with the Thunder. Like I talked to him about the nerdiest stuff, and it was still super enjoyable. Well, yeah, because he's extremely smart. That's why he's oh, so yeah. funny because he's so he's like witty. He's extremely quick. Um, so yeah, he's he's an incredibly intelligent guy, and it comes through when he talks basketball. Like he was always the guy. He was the number one guy who I would go to on those teams where if I had a question about like schemes and like not necessarily an interview, but just because I wanted to better understand their defense or something like that. Like, hey, when when so and so ran this against you guys, you defended it this way. Like, was that right? What what am I missing here? Why why are you guarding this way? And and he'd really like he's great. Uh, you know, they, they say you don't really know something until you can under, until you can explain it in simple terms. And he's 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 so great at that part of communicating like I could, which is very important, which is why I say I could see him being a coach. Cause, cause being able to explain complicated concepts in an extremely simple way is like the thing you need from a coach. That is what coaching is. Um, so I'm surprised could, you didn't go to Russ with your scheme questions. He's usually, so open <laughs> I, I remember when, uh, and we'll get to the Knicks right after this. I remember when they came and played, uh, the Knicks at the garden for uh Christmas day game. This must've been like 2000, 13 2014 something like that and he had a triple double in like 22 minutes or something like that and it was like the first three questions of the post-game interview session was like how did it feel to get a triple double how did it feel to get a triple double on christmas how did it feel to get a triple double on christmas at the garden and then i was like you posted up on the first three possessions of the game and that's something you've been doing a lot early in the game recently what's the reasoning behind that and he just looked at me like with this incredible side eye and he goes, the fuck are you, a scout or some shit? 
Um, so yeah, uh, anytime you want to ask, you know, those kind of questions, definitely I would suggest going to, to Russ. Um, that is classic. Anyway, we're going to talk Knicks. Um, you, you wrote uh, with Chris Kirchner this morning about Cam Reddish and what the role is going to be like in New York because one of the thing, one of the reasons essentially that he wanted out of Atlanta was because he wanted to, to do more, to have a bigger role, to have the ball in his hands, to not just be a standstill shooter in the corner all the time. And one of the things that you and Chris pointed out is it's not like the Knicks are lacking for wing depth. You know, there's a lot of guys that he's going to have to compete with for minutes and compete with to, to get on the court. And, and that's true at the, at the three. It's true at the four. It's true if they want to make him like a ball handler. What do you see as like the vision for him with this team? Have you talked to anybody about exactly what they want to do with him? I know he's got the ankle injury and Tibbs hasn't said much, but do you know, do you have any ideas for what the plan is? So I, the reason that I wrote that story when Chris and I were mapping out that story what I said to Chris was I said, I kind of want the point of this story not to give an answer. I kind of want the point of the story to be so that the reader at the end just knows to ask the insightful question, which is where does he fit in? Like, how can he fit into this in a way that he wants to fit into? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. There was, there was a line that I had in that story and I just put it out in one sentence, but it, it's, it's kind of a greater part of, my overall thesis on this, which is that when you trade for a role player, especially in a, in a situation like this, you make a trade for a role player and through the first three years of his career, that's what Cam Reddish has been. He's a role player. When you trade for a role player, I don't necessarily believe in grading that trade and only that trade on its individual con uh, context. Like you don't, you don't look at that with tunnel vision and say, okay, that was a good trade or a bad trade on its face. It's within a greater context, right? Especially considering this move came four weeks before the trade deadline. So I'm kind of waiting, especially since, you know, if he were inserted into the rotation tomorrow, that would, you know, I, I would be talking about this a little bit differently, but he's got the ankle injury. Tibbs said he's going to be out for a while. It's plausible he doesn't come back, you know, until next month. And if that's the case, they have time to make another complimentary move. They don't necessarily need to rush on it to get him into the rotation. So I think it's plausible that a complimentary move ends up coming here because they're kind of overloaded and his presence could bump at least one of the young guys from the rotation. You know, I think Obi Toppin is an obvious one, but that only frees up 15 or so minutes. And I, you don't trade a first round pick. I don't care how protected. You don't trade a first round pick for a guy who's going to play 15 minutes. You do it for a guy who's going to help you more. Uh, so, so he's going to bump somebody else too. Uh, whether that's, you know, Grimes, uh, quickly, you know, and this this assumes that one of Kemba or Rose is out too. You know, when you run down through the rotation, there are a lot of guys who are out. So um, I'm not 100% sure how it's going to work yet. And I don't know if if the Knicks are, are totally in on how it's going to work yet uh, either, to be honest. But I think, I think that organization likes Reddish a lot and has for a bit. Like the front office likes Reddish a lot, so I've so I've been told, and and they have liked Reddit Reddish for a while, and I think they just saw they saw value in a guy who they think they grade out is better than a late first round pick, and so they pounced. Yeah. Um. So first of all, Rye guy, I see your speaker request. We'll get you on after we finish this a uh, little bit of discussion about Cam Reddish here. Um. So I I mean I agree with you that the organization definitely values him highly. This was you know Berman reported the other day that there were you know 
executives in the organization that wanted to trade down from three to take Reddish. And that's not like ex post facto reporting. That's something that was going around at the time as well, that there were people in the organization that were just like, we don't need to pick a three. We can move down and get somebody else in like the six to 10 range. And that was one of the guys uh, that people talked about. I think it was like him and Darius Garland, but Garland wound up going four or five. I don't remember what it was. Um, but so that, that's, that's something that I think has been going around for a while. I also agree with you that you don't trade a first-round pick for somebody for them to play 15 minutes a night. And I think the interesting thing is, like, you can't really figure out who he's going to take the minutes from because you don't know what they think he is. Like, do they think he's a two? Do they think he's a four? Do they think he's somebody that can play, like, a bunch of different positions? Because depending on what they think he is, he might take minutes from Toppin or Grimes or Burks or Quickly or, like, whoever – that's, you know, one of the selling points of him as a player is that he can play all of those different roles. But that's also one of the things that I think has made him frustrated, which is that he hasn't had like a defined, you know, upfront role in like a, you know, a primary sense for the team that he's been on so far. It's really tough to see him overtaking, you know, like Julius Randle or RJ Barrett as like one of the primary ball handlers or scorers on the team. Obviously, both of the point guards um, are out right now. And I'm curious, like, what happens with with that, if and when one or both of them return to the court. And then what happens, like, Burks has been starting a point guard. What happens there? Quickly's essentially been playing point guard off the bench. What happens there? Reddish has talked about how he wants to be, like, a primary ball handler type. What, you know, how many different primary ball handlers can you have? Um, you would think that a trade has to be coming at some point, just because there's too many guys to play. A lot of this, I think, would be solved if they didn't insist on playing two bigs for all 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. But Tibbs is not going to – like, that is who Tibbs is. He was an outlier on that in Minnesota, and he's an outlier on that now. And that's just – it's not going to change, you know. So I do think that there is a minutes crunch coming at some point when guys get back on the court. Like, you got you got nine guys playing right now, and realistically, you could have more – you know, like the guys that are not playing are like capable players, and you got three rotation players probably who are out, and, and that doesn't even include Nerlens Noel. You got like four mm-hmm. rotation players who are out. So at a certain point, you do have to consolidate. The question is, like, are they consolidating to try to make like an upgrade? Are they using assets, or are they saying, you know, what we have more than enough guys at a certain position, we can send somebody out, recoup what we lost with that first round pick and use Reddish in that role instead of whoever. Right. I mean, look, the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet, everybody says Reddish wants to handle more. Reddish believes he can be a legit star, which is what he told. uh, You know, I wasn't in Atlanta for that game over the weekend, unfortunately, because I'm getting over COVID. Uh, But, you know, he spoke to the, the beat reporters who were there in Atlanta, and he said he thinks he can be a legit star. And, uh, you know, it was very far from the first time that Reddish has made that clear. He even talked to my colleague, Chris, Chris Kirshner, at the start of the season, and talked about how he wants to get back to playing more like he did in AAU, handling the ball, being able to be a creator, all of this. Uh, the thing that the necessary context to add all of this to all of this is that Reddish has not proven at all that he's capable of doing that in a sufficient fashion in the NBA. Uh, and you can, like, not at all. Like, he. No, he has more turnovers than assists in his career. Like he's he's not a passer, and and I actually think people point to his passing, and 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 I agree with them on the passing. But the greater issue is that he doesn't 
really he doesn't have a dynamic handle and it all starts with guys like that if guys want to become creators facilitators scores off the dribble all that stuff uh it starts with your handle like when you see a guy make a leap as a scorer out of nowhere and you just look at the numbers and you're seven games into the season and maybe i haven't watched that team so much i'm like whoa why is why is these guys why are these guys num- why is this guy's numbers so much better than i originally anticipated the first thing i look at when i watch them is their handle uh it's so often when Paul George made a leap, his handle got better. Like that's just, that's, that's what happens with a lot of these guys. It's so important. And Cam Reddish doesn't necessarily have that right now. When he takes guys up the dribble, he shoots worse than 30% on pull-up jumpers. Uh, I mean, this is just, he hasn't shown this at all. He's got, a, I think, a 46% career effective field goal percentage. So are the Knicks really going to just let him play that way? And it's already a team that's kind of struggling offensively compared to what they wanted to be this year. Uh, yes, yes, correct. I mean, I'm just I'm so curious to see exactly how he responds because the reality is the way that he wants to play, he hasn't been successful playing in. And this is a team that isn't necessarily in terms of the way its front office is operating. This is a team that's not necessarily they're not gunning for a title. They're not going to make some crazy future sacrificing move they're going to be measured and and intelligent by all accounts and on on trying to how to handle the future but that being said the coaching staff is trying to win right now and that is how they coach and that is how they operate and they have veterans who they play a lot it's kind of a mix of a bunch of young guys and a bunch of vets who are what they are and i just they're not just gonna you know this isn't Cade cunningham on the pistons you know, and Killian mm-hmm. Hayes on the Pistons. You're not just going to run this guy out there and say, let's see if he can do this and treat it like Summer League. They're just not going to do that. So the, the irony They don't even do that with Quickly, who they used Summer League to see if he could play point guard. It worked well, and they still don't do it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, and I don't think it's crazy that they don't do it for what it's worth. I mean, I, the the irony of all of it is I think, I think Reddish could end up having to play a very, maybe not the exact same role, but a, a similar role to how they've been using Quentin Grimes lately, which is you got to guard like crazy when you guard the ball. You got to be aware off the ball. You got to be the first guy on the floor when it's loose and you got to knock down your catch and shoot threes. But that's exactly what Atlanta wanted him to play as. And he wasn't satisfied and was defense cratered this year. And, uh, you know, there were all the issues that have been chronicled many times. So I'm really curious to see how, how he responds, uh, you know, it could just be like, sometimes it really is just like he did not respond to the people in that organization. And maybe it's just you get different people sharing the same message and you get a different reaction. You know, that's just, it's not so formulaic. These are these are people working with people and, and people react differently to different people. So there's always that. And certainly the Knicks have thought about this uh, and believe that for whatever reason they can, they can get him to buy in. Um, but... But I, I just it's it's an interesting experiment because I don't know how it's like I don't think any of us can say definitively which direction it's going to go in. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Um, one quick thing on the handle, and then we'll get to uh, to Rye Guy's question that he's been waiting to ask. Like, there are ways to get around not having an elite handle. It's you have to have some other sort of elite skill that allows you to score off the dribble, despite not necessarily just being able to you know shake past a guy in front of you with dribble moves, whether it's, you know, power like Jimmy Butler has or like short area quickness like Jason Tatum or Carmelo had or just being incredibly precise with everything like Kawhi is. Like he doesn't have a great handle, but there's absolutely no wasted movement to anything 
that he does. So he gets where he wants to go quicker than the guys in front of him can because he's so economical with the way he moves. So Reddish being able to develop something in that range, like RJ Barrett, I think his handle has gotten a little bit better since he came into the league, for example. It's still not elite. He's not necessarily like shaking past guys off the dribble. He makes up for it by being super strong and powerful and he could duck mm-hmm. his shoulder and get to the rim that way. And that's sort of the th- the theory of him being, you know, a, a, a scorer on, on offense in terms of creating for himself. Reddish needs something along those lines, whether it's getting stronger, getting quicker, working on like one or two dribble moves rather than trying to take his guy all the way to the basket or four, five, six dribbles into a pull-up. There's got to be something different than what he's been doing so far. Um, yeah. Now we'll get to uh, this question from Rye Guy. How's it going? Yeah, man, not trying to switch gears up on y'all too much. I'm just trying to wonder, man, I'm a Lakers fan, just wondering, is there anything that can be done? A little bit of a a gear switch here. Um, Play Malik Monk more. No, I mean, like, they, uh, (laughs) it's not good right now. I I don't really see how they're going to become, like, a top five defense again, which is kind of what they need to do to get where they want to go because they have so many issues offensively, like, Russ needs to do stuff that he hasn't really been willing to do his whole career. LeBron needs to be five years younger. Some of the guys that they signed this offseason need to be able to play defense. They need Anthony Davis back. Like, you know, there's a lot of different things that could help them. It's Fred, what do you think? And then we'll uh, we'll get back to the Knicks after this. Yeah, playing playing Le- LeBron smaller lately has helped. I, I will say, Russ, I was looking at the numbers yesterday. Russ, AD, LeBron on the floor. They are like plus four per 100 possessions. And that, that number was in the negatives early in the season. I think they're, those three guys are starting to figure out a little bit more. Uh, the thing with Russ is like, I don't know, everyone's like, well, if, if they can just get Westbrook to set screens, it's like... It's never going to happen. <laughs> same conversation we've been having forever. I mean, the thing that I've, I've wondered is when you watch the way that Russ plays, he actually will set screens and he will run around screens on like ATOs. But he never does it in an improvisational situation. So I, I, I've, I've always wondered, like, if you had a play call, like a really play calling heavy coach, uh, how Russ would react to that when there's a player he knows is better than him on the team. And I think LeBron is the only guy in the league who Russ knows is better than him. Uh, that being said, if if you went to an NBA head coach and you said hey, you have LeBron on your team. Do you want to take advantage of having the smartest, greatest player of the last 20 years run your offense? Or do you think that you're smarter than him and you can just have him run these set plays and you can neutralize the most intelligent offensive player that I've ever seen? Um, (laughs) Like The coach would be like, are you freaking crazy? When you have LeBron on your team, you let LeBron run the offense. That's what makes LeBron great. So it's a catch-22. Uh, and I think you're better off maximizing LeBron than you are maximizing Russ. So I don't, I don't know. Don't play, don't play centers. Having yeah. AD, look, having AD at center is just going to help them a lot. And there's just no way, as long as he's healthy, that he's going to be shooting like 17% from three the rest of the way. He has not been his usual self this year. I don't think he's been as great defensively as he usually is. I think they'll be better in the second half of the season. I guess they could turn it on, but I, I kind of struggle to see how they are going to get into the top, say, four. Maybe they can beat Memphis in a playoff series or something like that. I mean, that's definitely plausible, but I struggle to see how they get 
into the top four, especially if like Jamal Murray comes back in Denver. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I think they can and should be better when AD comes back, but I think it's kind of long past time to to give up the dream on this is like one of the inner circle title contenders. No, they're not. They're not that. I mean, they're not. They're not Utah. They're not Golden State. They're not. You know, bar- barring just a, a, a just an outrageous amount of injuries up and down the Western Conference. Like they're not Utah. They're not Golden State. They're not Phoenix. They're not even Memphis right now. Um, and I don't know what to make of Memphis's playoff hopes, but they're playing unbelievable basketball, and they're, you know, they have a legitimate, first, like maybe first team All NBA guy in Ja right now, and they've been defending like crazy since the start of December, um, and they're doing all this like they don't even have their full roster. Like Dylan Brooks isn't even there right now. Yeah, Dylan so, Brooks has played less than half the games so far. Yeah, yeah, and Dylan Brooks has been really freaking good when he has played. I mean, Dylan Brooks is is their best defensive player. I mean, him and him and Jaron Jackson Jr. are like their yeah, their Jaron Jackson taking a step forward defensively has been really really important. The Jaron at center lineups, I don't want to spoil too much of something that I'm working on right now, but the the Jaron at center lineups are positive for the first time in his career. They were got destroyed the first three years, and they're like plus seven for 100 possessions this year. It's That's really really important. yeah. I mean, it goes it goes hand in hand with his rim protection numbers, which are like you look at the. Op- opponents are shooting like some like 48, 49% uh, on dunks and layups when he's the closest defender to the shooter, uh, which is one of the best figures in the league. I mean, that's in the same class as, as Rudy Gobert, same class as Giannis, Calibra, one of two in the league right now amongst kind of the, the your high volume rim protectors. And like, okay. yeah, he's been, he's been a killer. He's been awesome. Right. Uh, Rye guy, we're going to send you back to the audience because it, uh, affects the audio a little bit and we're going to get back to the Knicks here. Um, you wrote about RJ Barrett last week too, and the run that he's on, which was um, mostly driven by, well, by driving, um, by getting to the basket way more often. The stat that you had in there was, I think it was 4.6 of his attempts per game before these last eight, nine games were dunks or layups. And since then it's 7.1. Obviously, two and a half per game jump while not playing more minutes is really, really significant. What have you seen that's allowed him to get to the rim more consistently than he was earlier in the year? You know, this kind of sounds like coach speak, and maybe I'm missing something. But I think so much of it for RJ is a is kind of a consistent attacking mentality. Um, and I honestly, that's so much of what I attribute it to. Uh, part of it is he's been able to when the Knicks defense is better, he's able to get out and transition more. At the beginning of the year, we saw him get all of these transition buckets and he looked really good, which is kind of part of why I like those lineups when he plays with the bench, especially when Rose is healthy. Cause, cause he can be good in transition. Um, and I think that's something that's helped him. He's able to get ahead of steam down the floor, even if it's not technically a fast break, you know, if you've got a two on two, but you've got momentum going to the rim, you don't have numbers, but that's a fast break. Like that is an opportunity to attack. And I just see when those moments open up, he's attacking uh, in a way that Julius Randle doesn't necessarily. Uh, and I think it's been really, really healthy for their offense. You know, Randle kind of has sort of an opposite dynamic in that, you know, if he's running a pick and roll with somebody and he pops off the pick and roll and, you know, the ball handler gets blitzed and they toss it to Randle, Randle still just kind of waits there for the defender to recover onto him. They don't take advantage of the fact that they have numbers in the half court. 
he just kind of waits there and he squares him up. And, and then maybe he goes to the rim after his defender gets set on him or he tries to step back or whatever he ends up doing. I think RJ has just done a much better job of in those sorts of moments being more decisive, being able to go at the rim. You know, it's not just that the shots around the rim are going up, as you might expect when you're going to the rim more. His free throw rate, which is just how many free throws he's taking per shot, that number is much higher. Uh, and you would expect total free throws to go up when you're shooting more. But but proportionally, he's getting more free throws too. Uh, so that's obviously, uh, I, I think, a really great thing for him. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately, like... It just, I, I don't know. It's kind of a chicken or egg thing. Like, I don't know if he's shooting better because he has that locked in mentality now. So he's shooting better. And then eventually he'll fall off because he's been really inconsistent as a jump shooter throughout his career. Or I don't know if that sort of mentality comes because he's making his shots. Uh, the only way I could possibly know that is if he were able to psychoanalyze himself enough to figure it out on his own, which is pretty damn difficult to do for yourself. And then he was willing to tell me in a media session. So I, I don't really know the reason for it, but he tends to weave in and out. And I just think the way that he has been playing lately for a very long time, um, it just leads to a, a quite productive player. And at uh, 21 years old, like this is, this is like a nice development. Like if I were the Knicks, I'd be, I, I, would be, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be jumping the gun to say that like if I'm the Knicks, I'm, I'm excited about these last two and a half weeks. Like I think it's pretty encouraging. Yeah, I mean, well, it is encouraging, I would say. It's also two and a half weeks. So uh, we saw a solid, like, two weeks. Uh, B-Ball Goat, by the way, we'll get to your question in, in a second. We saw a solid, like, two weeks earlier in the season. We saw a solid, like, three months last year after he had another slow start. Yeah, can I, Jared, can I add one more thing, which is very important, and which I absolutely I, I forgot to mention here, and I, I, I hate that I forgot to mention it when I was just talking about it, because I... I meant to include it in the story that you mentioned, and I forgot to put it in the story too, which is the fact that the Knicks have played some really bad defenses lately. You know, I, I mentioned in that story, like this streak all started when he they played Oklahoma City and he took uh, 20 shots in that game, and I think 11 of those 20 shots were in the paint. And part of the reason was because the Thunder have like the worst repression in the league. He was going up against, up against a team with Isaiah Roby and Mike Muscala as the two rim protectors. Didn't they lose he, that game to Oklahoma City, by the way? They did. They scored 80 points that night. Yeah. Um, but but RJ, they, they didn't have anybody. Like That was when everyone was in protocols or hurt. And oh. RJ kind of had to take over the offense. And, um, you know, I think I think you have to look at the schedule, too, which is like, you know, people are really excited about the Knicks. Play. Some people are really excited about the Knicks playing better lately. And, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, they're the last 13 games they played against teams that are Currently 500 or better, they're one in 12 or one in 13 in their last 14 against teams that are currently 500 or better. It's like they're 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 kind of showing to be exactly who they are. They're 22 and 22. They they beat the bad teams and they lose to the good teams. Uh, and and to really really buy into the RJ stuff, I think you need to see him start to do it. Like he goes against Dallas when Dallas is missing its centers. Uh, you know, he's he's doing this often against teams that are really lacking in rim protection and against bad defenses. And obviously, that is something that helps, too, and certainly contributes. But I don't think that necessarily means it's automatically a fluke. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious how much uh, of the lull that he had earlier in the season, too, was about COVID. He missed, like, whatever it was, like, two weeks in COVID protocols and was, like, really bad 
in the few games before that, was not very good in his first few games back, uh, has been better since. But he's also just been a streaky player throughout his career. So it could easily just be, you know, small sample fluctuations on, on either side. Um, I think an encouraging thing is the jumper going down recently too, along with the attacking mentality. I want to see the attacking mentality stick around when the jumper is not going down because that's, you know, that they always talk about it on broadcast. Like that is a good way to get yourself going again is to get yourself to the rim, get yourself to the rim, get yourself to the line. Obviously he's not been a particularly good uh, free throw shooter in his career. Last year he was up uh, around 75 or so percent. This year's back below 70 but it's always good to get yourself to the rim um, and finish better at the rim as well. The last time I looked, his finishing numbers at the rim were down. Right now they're actually up 62.6% inside of three feet, but not getting there nearly as often. A lot, a significant jump in his three-point rate, but his conversion rate on those shots has gone down about 4.5% this year. A lot of that is the slow start, but yeah. Um, we had a question coming in earlier, but whoever it was withdrew the speaker request, so we will keep going uh, on on the, hey, on the next but You mentioned, by the way, you mentioned Randall uh, yeah. earlier and how he will just wait for guys to come at him. That is the big thing with him this year. He plays so slow. Like, yeah. everything is so deliberate. He needs to take advantage. Like, the whole theory of getting better offensive players this year was they were going to make things easier on him by bending the defense away from him on occasion. He needs to take advantage of that. If somebody passes you the ball outside the three-point line and you have a step, if you, you have a step and a half of space, take the shot. You don't have to create everything for yourself. You can take a catch-and-shoot jumper in that situation. Or if you're not open, give it right back and freelance your way into a pick-and-roll. Like you got to be willing to take advantage of the space afforded to you by your teammates. Yep. So I think part of it, I think most of it is on Randall and his decision-making because you see times where he can go and he still doesn't. So I think most of, most of that habit has to do with Randall, but I think, and you kind of alluded to it before, but I, I think also a legitimate contributor and something you have to mention in this conversation is the fact that Randall almost exclusively plays next to a rim diving center. Who's just hanging in the paint mm-hmm. and, and, and something like, for example, that, that game they played in Boston a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, they lost in Boston. And Randall took 16 shots in that game, I think, and four of those shots were in the paint. And if you recall, Robert Williams was just ridiculous in that game. He, played he blocked R.J. Barrett like 17 times. Oh, my God. He was so good in that game. Like, he scared the living but Jesus out of the Knicks. They were just, by, by the second half, they were just like, oh, nope, not going near that guy. And then every once in a while, someone would get ballsy enough to do it, and he would just swat him. And he was he was so ridiculous in that game. But Robert Williams is an excellent defender. I mean, he's really, he's really awesome. If he could stay healthy for, for a full year, he really has, like, his he has all-defense potential. Like, it would surprise me not at all if he made an all-defensive team in his career. He's an excellent defender. That said, his job in that game was quite easy because he's guarding Mitchell Robinson the whole time. And so he can just park in the lane because Mitch is just not really going to do – Mitch, Mitch is not a nothing on offense. He's got great hands. His his gravity when he, to be able to throw down lobs and, and in the pick and roll is important and you know dribble handoffs, like all that stuff is important and he plays a role. But the fact that he's not a playmaker – 
and that he doesn't shoot means Robert Williams can just get there. And the Knicks, you know, part of the reason why I kind of had a problem with their their makeup, their roster makeup at center specifically, is not because of the ability of their guys. It's because of the uncomplimentary skill sets of their guys. Where if teams are just camping in the lane against Mitch, it's not like you can go to Noel and give them a different look. If, if, if Noel is getting schemed out of the game, you can't go to Taj Gibson to give them a different look, even if Taj is kind of sometimes shooting threes this year. It's, and I think that makes the job just more difficult for Randall, and I think it also dissuades him from being able to go into the paint as much as he could if he were playing next to you know, a center who could shoot threes or when, you know, in the moments if he's playing the five. That's part of why I think, like, you know, he got hurt today, so I kind of have to amend this take. But that's why I think, like, a healthy Miles Turner is such a good fit for them with the roster as constituted because it, it, it gives you that rim protector that Tibbs can feel really comfortable with so, so he doesn't feel like he needs to make a change. And it also gives you somebody who's an enough shooter at that position that you have to guard him at the three-point line and opens up the floor more for Randall and everybody else. I'm with you on Miles Turner. I'm with you on the lack of stretch or playmaking at center affecting Randall. I think some of it also is it's just it's not a roster with a very good passers. Like it's just a poor passing roster in general. So a lot of times they just have to run like they run the same play a hundred times a game of a Randall brush screen up top to set up a wing isolation because it's like the only thing they can get into where you have an easy pass to to get him the ball. Like you need more guys that can bend the defense off the bounce and make a cross court pass or like, you know, Quitley does it sometimes Barrett does it sometimes Burke does it sometimes like they don't have anybody that is consistently piercing the defense from the outside in drawing help and swinging the ball from one side of the floor to the other, to where the defense can't get there and create an open look for somebody on the team. There's no player on the team that consistently does that. The guys that do create off the dribble are largely creating for themselves like Randall is probably the best guy at creating for others on the team and he's been somewhat inconsistent with it this year you know so I, I don't know like there's a lot of different things that go into it but yeah um, you mentioned Mitch Robinson earlier early in the season uh, I, I was very concerned about Mitchell Robinson he was not looking good particularly on defense he was looking like lost almost and he was just not moving well he mentioned I can't count the number of times that he mentioned that uh, that he put on a bunch of weight this offseason, but it did not seem to be working. <laughs> he looks much better lately. You know, I think he's been more active. He's getting more involved uh, on defense. He's grabbing a ton more rebounds. It coincides with Nerland's Noel being out and also a period where, where I think Taj was out too. But, I mean, it's a nice sign that he looks better. That said... They did sign Nerlens to a long-term deal already. Center is not the position you want to devote a whole ton of resources to. Um, his contract is up at the end of the year, and he's an unrestricted free agent. This offseason, we talked earlier about consolidation trades. Like, I think he's one of the most likely guys, even though he is playing well, to potentially be moved just because it might be difficult to keep him. Yeah, you don't have to say even though he is playing well. You can say because he's playing well. That too. Because the, the reality is if he's not playing well and he's looking out of shape and people are wondering, oh, no, is the foot you know, plaguing him or 
uh, did he put on too much muscle and he's he just can't get up anymore and it takes him away as a lob threat and a shot blocker and all this the rebounder all this stuff like what is his value like he he is the archetype of player that is is based in your your football fan like, he is the archetype of player that is that is the running backs of the NBA you mm-hmm. know a rim diving rim protecting center there are a lot of them that are really good. I mean, look, I personal bias is I just wouldn't really pay rim diving, rim protecting centers who don't shoot threes and don't um, play make. You can, you can Neither get someone, the Knicks just paid one like thirteen million a year. So, <laughs> I mean, they they paid Noel, and and a lot of these guys end up getting paid anyway. You know, they just you know they end up getting paid regardless, and and those teams often regret it. I mean. Gafford got 13 a year. I think Robert Williams is kind of in a higher class, but I, I, I was not, I was not ecstatic about that contract. He's a good passer, though, Robert Williams. That's the difference. He's a very good like passer. A Noel. That's, that's why I say he's in a higher class, and he's not really that guy. The issue is not that those guys aren't necessarily worth the money. It's that you can get somebody who's 80% as good for 20% the price, and so the value is just on the whole, when you look at the greater context of that archetype, like you can just find a Nick Claxton in the draft. Usually you can sign a JaVale McGee for the minimum, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of player you can pick up for a much cheaper yeah. price. You can get the them Knicks in a did lot. It last year with Taj Gibson. They picked him up for the minimum a month into the season. The Suns right. just picked up Bismarck Biombo off the street and he's playing great. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and so those, that's why I say they're the running backs of the NBA. But like with Mitch, you're right. He's he's been playing much better. He's he's the thing with him that sets him apart from like Noel is that you know Noel kind of has you know the stone hand effect, where Mitch is the polar opposite, right? I mean, he actually has great hands. Like his ability to be able to throw down lobs no matter where they are, um, and you, he he's so and also it, it just helps. There's so many offensive rebounds, specifically offensive rebounds that he gets in traffic where the ball bounces around six times and he's the one who come up with it. Where my reaction is like, man, he really has great hands with the ability to be able to get that pass. Like he's so coordinated for someone so tall and with such long arms. You just don't see that coordination from someone with that body type. Like unbelievably coordinated. And so um you know that that makes him a a, a really helpful player, um, but but you're right. Like if they want to make a bigger trade, send out three rotation players and bring out one. I mean, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and he's not in a position to where like he's taking a loyalty contract with the Knicks. You know, this is his first opportunity to get paid. He's he's going to go to whomever pays him, uh, and uh, you know as he should, and, and so. You know, if you have an opportunity where somebody wants to come, then you know they that that's definitely somebody who could be in the mix. Toppin could could be in the mix. Like there are very few guys who I would say who I would be totally shocked if they got traded. There are very few. I would say anybody that didn't go to Kentucky is uh, is probably in the mix to get <laughs> traded. But no, I mean one other thing with Mitch before I let you go because I know you got to go to the Tim's press conference is um, early in the se- like I wonder how much of his improved play lately has to do with Noel being out because early in the season Mitch was playing in like four to six minute stints at the longest and he was like visibly frustrated on TV every time he came out of the game and that's happening less often now. 
he's getting more yeah. extended stints. Well, with, look, part uh, of the reason Noel that out. he was only playing in those stints, though, was because of what you talked about. Like he was out of shape. Yep. He just he didn't he couldn't play in longer stints. You know, he just he wasn't physically there. So so I mean that's that's a huge part of it. Like he's so much more bouncy, but he can actually he can play minutes now. He can go. He can dive on the floor, and he doesn't have to come out of the game. Yep. All right. Uh, I'll let you take off. Thanks again for doing this, man. Uh, enjoy Kids' press conference, which was, you know, sure to be extremely illuminating. Uh, you, can, you can find Fred uh, at The Athletic, and uh, you can find him on Twitter at Fred Katz. And uh, you should be reading his work. Covers the Knicks, covers the NBA. And uh, just a generally good dude. Fred, I'll see you soon, bud. Thanks for having me on, man. I always appreciate it. Sure. Um, we got another question here. Uh, from Rye Guy again. Rye Guy, what's up? You there? Yeah. Wow. Oh man, I'm sorry, man. I just wanted, I just wanted to get y'all's take, or at least your take, on John Morant and what, just what the hell he's doing right now. Yeah. Um. Uh, so I wrote about John Morant during his rookie season, and I called him like an embryonic Chris Paul that is also the most athletic player on the floor at all times. And I feel pretty good about that two years later. Um, the dude is absolutely ridiculous. He sees plays before they happen. He sees plays that aren't there until he makes them happen. He's the best athlete on the floor at pretty much all times. The way he's sh been shooting the ball until the last like two weeks where he's like two for 20 from three or whatever. I mean, if he hits jumpers from outside the three-point line at 34, 35%, I, I mean, I don't even know what you do to a guy like that defensively trying to guard him it just there, there's nothing you can do he's clearly a guy also who has an infectious effect on his teammates like you don't have to look much further than that night the other night when John Conjar had like 15 points 17 rebounds and every guy on the the team is going nuts in the post-game interview that Conchar is doing and it's like all led by Morant they're like jumping on top of him and being you know all excited about this guy having his career game and it's like Ja and Dylan Brooks are like the guys that are leading that locker room. You know, Stephen Adams there now as well. Like, I, I do not think it's a coincidence that all of this is happening for them. They obviously have a really good young core, but that dude is a special, special player. And, you know, I've, I've said it on Twitter a bunch of times. Like, I think RJ Barrett is going to be a good player that helps teams win for a while. I will <laughs> never get over the Knicks not getting the, a top two pick in that draft and not getting this guy. So, that's my take on, on John Morant. It's basically like Steph Curry, but 10 years later, obviously he's got a long way to go to be, you know, as good as Steph or to make fans uh, as depressed about not getting him as people are, are slash were about not getting Steph. But that's, I mean, I was feeling that type of way about it pretty quickly. And a couple of years later, I feel very good about having, you know, been so in on him so quickly in you know the early stages of his career like nobody can deny how good this dude is and the effect that he's having on his team um there's not really much more to say about him than that um if anybody else has questions by the way feel free to pop them in the chat or send in a speaker request we will uh try to keep going here for as long as we've got more questions uh unless right guy you had something to add on uh john morant there nope looks like um if nobody else has any more questions we will uh oh there he i think ja like miniature kobe incarnate 
<laughs> Kobe, I mean, not particularly similar as players. Um, maybe, you know, attitude-wise on the court in terms of the, you know, tenacity and competitiveness that he plays with. You know, obviously Kobe was pretty legendary for that. Um, I do think much different as, like, actual basketball players. But, you know, mentality-wise from what you hear about Ja, he's got, like, the 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 straight killer instinct. I mean, he, like, told off a kid for wearing a <laughs> Steph Curry jersey at a Grizzlies-Warriors game last week. He's clearly pretty intense and uh, taking things super seriously when he's on the court, not just from a, you know, competitive basketball standpoint, but also from a, uh, you know, don't fuck with me kind of standpoint, even if it's whatever it is, like a 12-year-old kid who, you know, just also happens to like another really good basketball player and wanted to wear his jersey to the game. By the way, that uh, that promotion that uh, that the Grizzlies ran immediately after that where you could come and uh, exchange an opposing player's jersey for a John Moran or Jaron Jackson jersey was absolutely genius. One of the best things I've ever seen. And the kid was yeah. like one of the first ones in line. Anyway, um, we're going to wrap it up uh, a little bit right here. So thanks again for, for jumping on, everybody. Thanks to Fred for, uh, for doing this. Appreciate it. Uh, Devin throws in the chat that he looks at Morant in the same light as Derrick Rose pre-injury. And I mean, yeah, like Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, those guys early in their careers, you can obviously make, you know, a, a pretty big comparison for all of those uh, super athletic point guards. I think Morant is a little bit more, not, not necessarily pass oriented. I think he's just a better passer than somebody like Rose or Westbrook was early in his career. That's why I went with Chris Paul, but also the ridiculous athleticism. Like it's the combination of both of those things that makes Morant such a special player. Anyway, thanks again for, for jumping on with us today and uh, back soon. Enjoy. Have a good night.